Well, we're going to do our uh, Dig Deep podcast edition having to do with politics, Iowa, Tom Bach, and the change in leadership at the uh, legislative session that as we're recording today, it is beginning today. Yes. Uh, I, I think there's some glee over there in Mr. Marone's eyes I just talk uh, about the app here's and what was, Iowa. Here's what was funny. Uh, you know, I have, I have friends who are lined up on the progressive side of the, uh, the aisle. Uh, and, you know, Iowa kicks off their, like, NFL playoffs. It's the, uh, it's the NFL playoffs for the non-rubes, for the sophisticated elite class of this country. And they all sneer at Iowa anyway because, you know, you got to get out of your, uh, your coastal elite place and travel to the middle of the country and, you know, go to state fairs and, and smell, uh, you know, weird smells of deep fried food, et cetera. And, and so there's a little bit of like, you know, we kind of detest them anyway. And why do, why do we have Iowa? I think, why I do we have I feel like you're projecting a little bit, Chuck. Now, you're projecting now, a little now bit Now we get situation. to like the opening round of the playoffs for them. Like here, <laughs> here it is. We got all the players that made it to the playoffs and we're going to have our first round and it's, it's awesome. We got the popcorn popped and we're sitting, uh, no, I'm sorry. We got the caviar spread and oh, we're sitting boy. down in front of the, uh, <laughs> in front of the big screen TV with our friends and we're going to watch this. And then what happens is that the app doesn't work. And, and the funny thing is, you know, if, if you were going to, I think the the proper like nonpartisan analysis of this is that they just they did the classic thing where they tried to get too fancy um, for no good reason. Like there's sometimes technology is helpful and sometimes it's just like bling with no added value. And, you know, they tried to do the bling with no added value and it really made them look stupid. Um, the, 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 the very partisan thing is it was fun to kind of watch, uh, you know, stub your toe right off right out the gate and the the thing that I uh, had a little bit of glee on is watching all of my all of my friends um, and their frustration and just you know, like this was our super this was our road to the Super Bowl like what what happened so uh, I have a few reactions to that I uh, <laughs> uh, I'll just spin it from the other point of view because it's not inaccurate to say that it's like the opening game of a season of a professional sport for political junkies it is a big deal and it's a particularly big deal if you are invested in everything going on i don't on. think it resonates in november but i do think that iowa it doesn't fun. but but right. i think it certainly affects everybody's mood now yeah and uh and i think the context of what had just happened um everybody knew trump was going to get acquitted from the impeachment trial but he indeed did get acquitted and then there was, um, you know, the that, State of the Union, the State address, of the Union, which did not go poorly for Trump. You know, which I think was fine. Yeah, it was. It, if you it, had your range of expectations, that was on the. Well, yeah, and and it's reaching the point now where everybody's like, if he doesn't fall down or have like a major like psychotic break <laughs> in public. Everyone's like, yeah, he did pretty good, you know. Right. But realities. He didn't he, shake Nancy Pelosi's hand, but he didn't punch her. So right, and and it was know. it was everybody walked out of there with no change of opinions, which everybody knew would happen anyway. And everybody right. thought the same thing they thought before, which is kind of the nature of these events now. So okay, so we're, so I will say that the progressives of the world, at least speaking for myself, and I know probably others, I didn't sit and watch the whole thing play out, but 
I, I, I viewed it with a lot of anxiety. And there's a lot of anxiety for a lot of reasons. A lot of people are worried about the country. They really, there is something with Trump that is different than other, it's different than George W. Bush. It's different than other Republicans in office. It just feels like lots of change is happening. It's a very nerve-wracking experience. I understand that some people enjoy it. But but it's it's a nerve-wracking experience. And to have, and I, there's really no argument that it was the just an enormous follow-up with the caucuses, uh, was it, it was the next day, I, I didn't really care who won. I, I don't say I don't care, but I was interested to know who would win. Um, I have candidates that I like, some that I like less, but, but eh, I'll just see what happens, much like you watch a football game and your hometown team isn't playing, so you're like, oh, I'm interested in the outcome. Well, the outcome was disaster. And, and, and even if you, even when they finally got the dang votes counted, Sort of, sort of. We don't really even know to date. The result was basically a tie. So um, uh, between Pete Buttigieg and, and Bernie Sanders. And again, and then I had another existential moment where I'm like, oh my God, the, our, the two candidates that come out of Iowa are Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. And I, got, I like and dislike things about both those guys. But... Um, like when you go back to like 2008 when i was so excited that barack obama won iowa and it was such an exciting moment in the, the lives of a lot of progressives who were excited about that moment and i think i just think that in 12 years our top candidates coming out of iowa are going to be uh almost 80 year old left-wing senator and a guy nobody really has ever heard of who is the mayor of south bend indiana and like i it's like what is this? And we're going up against what a lot of Democrats feel is the greatest existential threat to our democracy in, in modern times uh, in Donald Trump and, and really the presidency that surrounds him, the, 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 the cultural phenomenon that surrounds him. And we're going up there with um, these candidates who I like, but man, are, there's no sense of, of gravity. And the fact that the first event was such a foul-up only seem to amplify that. I always walk this line because, um, I, you know, my, my, uh, my, uh, I don't want to use the word glee, but my, my laughter here mm -hmm. is, is aimed more at my friends who are, um, you know, so wedded to the process. Yeah. Um, they're so in, they're, they're so inside the process. Can, can I share some the horse glee? race part? Of I want to share yeah. some glee with you. There is one thing about this that I enjoyed and that is watching the 24 hour media melt. Down. That, that was, that <laughs> yeah. was a big part of it. It's like, I'm watching Wolf Blitzer and he's like, mm -hmm. I, I've never, I've never, I've never, I'm <laughs> like, what, what? And, and it was like, uh, it was like you needed a control alt delete yeah. on the guy. And, and there was, and they had nothing to talk about. No, yeah. And, and they were already and like, they got the maps. Like we got maps. Maps. Like we're supposed to be able to show maps and we can't show any maps. Like what, what do we mm -hmm. spend all this time yeah. uh, putting together all this stuff when I can't even, you know. And another thing that's important to point out, and if you can separate yourself from the, you know, whether you're not, you think the democracy is in danger, <laughs> whatever you think about that, set this aside and realize that uh, how many candidates and how much money was spent for people to go county to county in Iowa and spend all the ad ad money and uh, cake the airwaves with ads, send out the mailers, send out the social media ads to all all Iowa uh, users of social media apps, and in the end result was you may as well have taken all that money and put it in a in a in a giant boat 
and set it on fire and send it out into Spirit Lake out there right. and, and, and let it sink to the bottom because there's no, re- no nobody got a bounce. Nobody learned anything good about Democrats in the process. If you were just tuning in, as many people did, for the first results of the first vote, I wanted to see the winner give a speech. That's really all I wanted. I don't even know if I was going to vote for that person when it came time. I don't know who was going to win. Yeah. But Would I there just, be a Howard Dean moment? Would there be I just uh, wanted right. to watch if it's Bernie Sanders. I want to see what Bernie yeah, says. Yeah. If it's Pete, I want to see what yeah. Pete says and see what the winner says and if they have what it takes to go to the next level or not. You didn't even get a speech out of it. You did nothing. You got speeches that they gave, but that were all marred by the fact that nobody knew what was happening. Right. So let me. Um, I, I I I do my uh, my laughter is about the the people mm-hmm. wedded, the people who are yeah. so invested in oh, the horse I, race. I, I know you're not. It, uh, well, but the, the, I, I think it's important but. thing to say because there are a lot of people who look at the Trump presidency as like an existential crisis, and I don't want to diminish that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that there there is a Trump derangement syndrome that it's hard to split out the people who are threatened and feel threatened mm-hmm. genuinely and the people who are kind of caught up in this frenzy. I mean, I, I do remember, and it is kind of funny to look at now, um, how Mitt Romney was an existential threat to our democracy in 2012. Mm-hmm. Uh, his binder's full of women, and this is a sexist person, and if he mm-hmm. gets into office, it's going to you know, all go the wrong way, and now he's a great patriotic American because he voted to impeach well, Trump. Well, we're, and- we're really seeing partisanship uh, on display um, in, in things like that because people, my view is like, if you have a belief about a process thing, you know, what's constitutional, party shouldn't matter, blah, 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 whatever. If you say party shouldn't matter, blah, 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 the blah, blah, blah should be the same for, no matter, both, for, both, party, for right. both parties, you right, know? Right, <laughs> it, it's, it's interesting because I have argued for the last three years that the way you defeat Donald Trump as president is to actually treat him as president treat him presidential. Don't tear up the State of the Union speech, stand and applaud when he says a line that you agree with. Like Treat him presidential because the, the dissonance between his behavior and the office is mm-hmm. so great that if you actually magnify that even greater by treating the office with reverence, mm-hmm. he becomes a caricature. I mean, he, and, and so to me, I feel like the greatest argument that the Democrats have today is just the, my God, make it stop. Mm-hmm. Like I, I go on my Twitter feed. I've said this before on this program. I go on my Twitter feed. I do not follow the president. I do not follow this mm-hmm. horse race. I'm not part of the political spin cycle. Like, I don't want any of this. And I am inundated every day with presidential tweets, not because I follow it or follow anyone who follows him, but because mm-hmm. there's like six degrees you, of, of you, Donald you, Trump. Like I can't get away from I it. I can back this up because Chuck messaged me a, a couple weeks ago just to took a screenshot of his of his Twitter feed. I, I did. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and he like he said, he doesn't follow the president on Twitter, but his like, like a solid wall of his Twitter feed was either Trump or someone responding to Trump. And and so there are these these messages always magnified into right. your into your view. So you you look and there's a certain amount of just I think we got to this point with Jesse Ventura, really, back mm-hmm. in the early two thousands here in Minnesota, which is you know, I like some of his policies. I, I like what he originally stood for. I'm, I'm caricaturing the people who supported him. You know, I voted for him for change, what have you. But like, why are you going off on all these things? Like, mm-hmm. just act like a governor. Don't act like an yeah. all-star wrestler. Like, make it stop. And I think he got to the point where like, he realized his negatives were so high, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to win re-election. I, I think the best chance that Democrats have 
is to have the 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 mar the moderate marginal voter say just like make it stop. Yeah. And the more that Democrats I was gonna say debase themselves or go mm -hmm. down to that level and actually become either Trump derangement uh victims or you know part of like the crazy spin mm -hmm. cycle like i'm going to tear up your speech because i'm mad i think it, it 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 lessens the clear choice between make it stop and here's a here's an alternative well and, and not to dwell too much on trump but one of the things that i think is most troubling about um about him is the way in which his opponents or the people who come anyone who comes in contact with him seems to become a slightly worse person um his opponents, his supporters, and it, it, I, I realize I'm saying something controversial, I guess, by saying that, but like he brings people, the debate level down. He, he brings everything down to a very crude back and forth that it's, it's impossible to win because if you debate him on those terms, um, you, you will lose because he's just, he has no sense of shame. He's never going to feel sorry for anything he said. So, Expecting him to apologize or learn or do something different because you told him he wasn't presidential or that he was beneath or the worst thing ever, he's just never going to respond to that rhetoric on purpose. It's just he's incapable of it. I don't even think it's like a choice. Um, and, and so there is something to what you said. On, on the other hand, it's really easy to see why people are so upset. It's so, so um, frightening, I think, in some ways for, for this to be the situation we're in. Uh, but Here, Here's the question I yeah, have, though. Mm -hmm. If Trump lost this election, does it end? And I'm not saying does right. the Trump phenomena end. I'm saying, do we ever go back to not having a reality yeah. TV presidency? And, and I think... Um, and I don't know. I don't know either. I think the right situation or, or candidate... I don't, I'm not saying that candidate is in the field, but, but I, I think there is a possibility. But the problem is, it's kind of like uh, once you know it's there, like you would never eat... Um, salty sweet uh, treats if you didn't know they existed sure you know because why would you you wouldn't even conceive of it right but once introduced to uh, Twinkies or um, holiday Bur gas station cookies right uh, which is my yeah my jam I'm, I'm totally with you uh, <laughs> Bernie Sanders is not you know Bernie Sanders like him don't like him whatever um, Bernie Sanders is not a friend of the Democrat Party you know, yeah. like uh, he's not own, the mainstream guy in any sense of the he, word. He is not a fan of the media, mm -hmm. as the media would be presented. D do I see a Bernie Sanders presidency being one where you don't have a White House briefing, but you do have uh, tweets? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's populous enough where that's where his source of power. I don't is. think Bernie and uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump are the same person. It wouldn't be the same kind of tweets, but 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 um. Is it a there different is a reality compelling argument, show? and I will admit there is a compelling argument that Bernie Sanders, and right now he's the front runner. I, we're granted we're recording. New Hampshire might change things. Other things might change things, but he's standing as the front runner now, and he wasn't the last time we talked this about this stuff. Right. Um, there is an argument to be made that he's an analog. He's a he's a he's a response to the Trump presidency and appeals to some of the same emotions 
of his most devout supporters that Trump did and is experiencing in these primary process. It's almost a, it's almost the same as that 2016 Republican campaign. So many candidates, including a lot of ones that you'd think would do pretty well. Uh, you know, uh, you got a few senators in there. You got a Jeb Bush. He's, he was a pretty big deal. Uh, he, everyone thought he should have been president, maybe not his brother, but you know, they and and then they all one by one and look what's happened in the Democratic race. A lot of really high profile senators, including some with some buzz, who were kind of darlings of the of the political world. Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, yeah. they get knocked out super early. Um, and and here's Bernie still. Remember surviving. Beto? Be- yeah, Beto O'Rourke. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I forgot about Beto. Yeah, oh no, he was the guy. Was, uh, no, I- the media loved him. Yeah. Nobody else did. Yeah. So so there was a front line. If you want to see something fascinating, there was a front line uh, like movie. Uh, it's it's all about like how we became so polarized and partisan, and it's 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 interesting. But what is Deeply fascinating is that they released the interviews with the people who are part of this documentary, this feature, full-length interviews on YouTube. So you can watch literally four hours of Steve Bannon back and forth Q and A. Yeah, you can listen to two hours of Robert Reich answer questions and and talk about this stuff. And these are deeply intelligent people. These are fascinating, fascinating interviews. Um, Bannon said, "I like Bernie. Bernie's a populist." Bernie is like right from my camp. Him and I are of the same ilk. And, you know, he's like, he's a, he wants to hit like the policies are different, but the things that are motivating him are the exact same. Yeah. And, uh, I think you're right. I I think that there's a certain frame of what's going on here. Um, that is a continuation of, uh, the Trump thing, which is we are, we are seeing a populist moment push back on, the 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 mm-hmm. we can call them the elites but i think the reality is is that you i'm pointing at aaron you and me would be part of this elites yeah we're elites. right like like you know and neither of us like would consider ourselves part no of the elite but no but there's certainly i think the way i would describe elites in this thing is like society is set up for you to advance doing the things you like to mm-hmm. do and that really is a there's a there's a group of people and I am one of them and you are one of them where y- you go to high school you go to college you get a job you progress you have we're, a certain we're good state. boys who did good things we're good boys who did good things and yeah. and mm-hmm. I think there's enough people who that narrative does not work for anymore mm-hmm. where you can be on the right of center Donald Trump you can be on the left of center Bernie Sanders they're both extremes in their parties but yet they're both in a sense appealing to the same base yeah. group of people uh, who are disenfranchised by the current system and 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 that's what makes them mm-hmm. both anathema to their uh you know to to the, to their parties. The interesting thing on the democratic side and I and we it turns out this is all we're talking about I guess but um uh the interesting thing that I'm seeing is is the democratic party now. And and this this is true in Minnesota we're seeing it on a smaller scale cuz Minnesota's not as diverse as as the democratic party as a whole nationally. You have a very real pushback on Bernie Sanders but on other candidates too. Um from African American voters and other other groups of um, racial minorities, because of uh, the fact that the Democratic Party, regardless of its policies, has come to become this, um, um, you know, kind of 
urban party where the most diverse communities tend to be democratic communities. And, and all of these groups want representation. They want uh, their issues to be taken seriously. And those issues aren't necessarily on the radar of the white American majority. You know, and, and as a result, um, it'll be interesting to see how a Bernie Sanders or any of the other candidates um, navigate what they what they need to do to reach. You know, I think James Carville recently said, you know, and, and he had a kind of a, a bias to his comments. But James Carville, the former advisor to President Clinton, the Bayou polit- Politico guy, um, he uh, made the argument that the Democrats, to win this particular election, are going to need their whole coalition. The coalition's right there. It's sitting right at about 52%. If if the whole coalition stays together, if the people who voted in the 2018 race, uh, who voted in a Democratic Congress, if all of that comes together just like it could, well, I think you can say safely that the Democrats could very easily win this election, and, and it wouldn't necessarily even be really close. However, we know from 2016, because this is what happened in 2016, that if that coalition is broken or not functioning or is, uh, you know, whatever, even if you believe that there was voter suppression in some certain close states, whatever the case may be, I know personally a lot of people who would normally have voted Democratic who either voted for Trump, for a third party, or didn't vote at all, because they didn't like Clinton or they didn't like the situation or something didn't feel right to them. It, um, it, it's That's how Trump wins again if he does, is that same thing happens again. And it's more than possible. The weird thing about Trump, and you mentioned how maybe the Democrats would just leave him be, you know, treat him like the president and pretend like he's not nuts and let him be nuts on his own and see what happens. Um, the, the, Trump is, the thing about Trump is he's so he's beatable. But he's also... Uh, he's also um, not unbeatable either. Like he, he's kind of this in between where he's always going to be right there, and he's willing to do anything in a way that other people aren't. And so, you know, he's good. And he's got the money. He's got a, a solid base of support. He's never going to get less than a third of the vote. He's never going to get less than forty percent of the vote. Probably forty-two percent seems like to be like a solid, unmovable base. He just has to get a little bit more, and he can, he did in 2016, but, um, you know, I think everybody wants it to be like, oh, we want to be able to predict exactly how this is going to go for certainty, and we want to just believe, like, there's going to be a winner and a loser and know how it's going to go, and I think what Trump is good at is improvising, because I don't think he's capable of doing anything other than improvising, uh, he's going to be in it till the end just because of that. And I think the Democrats have to prepare for that. And it's like if you stick to your program and hit them and, and hit them, you know, have a strategy that involves pointing out how Americans are not served by this presidency, well, I think Democrats will win. But we know you just have to watch um, that Democrats so easily go down rabbit holes. And uh, the media loves rabbit holes because it fills airtime. So, you know, to say that there's a, I mean, a lot of people still say there's this huge liberal bias on the cable news. I've always maintained it is a bias towards um, filling time, controversy, um, you know. It's why I've got a plan for that resonates with the media, but 
it struggles yeah. outside of it. Right. Exactly. The, 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 they love things that fill that that make sense to a media community or make sense in terms of a description. But um, how people live is a little different. And I mean, I'm getting through this by not watching cable news of any kind. I don't watch MSNBC. I don't watch even if I agree with the person. I don't want to watch the repetition of sound bites in this in this whole thing. Uh, and I think if Democrats can get out of that responding to Trump's sound bites. Just the fact that everybody who doesn't like something Trump tweets then replies and comments about it does what you've observed and what he, I don't. Not only do I not follow Trump, but I don't. I'm not in his circles. You know, I'm not as one of his supporters. But I see wall to wall Trump on my feed, and it's liberals commenting on something he said. Oh, you're dumb, burp, burp, burp. You know, and and that's if you feel better doing that, but all you're doing is putting his message in front of all your followers, and that's the problem that people can't get. Is that you have? He's a fire, and you got to put out the ox. You got to keep the oxygen out of there. <laughs> oxygen. And and, <laughs> and and the Democrat solution has been like, here's some pure oxygen. Let right. me just, is it, yeah. you know, and then more and more fire. And I think if you could somehow kind of isolate this and and run an alternative, it seems to be, and this will be an interesting future look. Is it seems like Mike Bloomberg is trying to do just that with his massive amounts of money that is antithetical to everything that I believe in in terms of campaign financing, uh-huh. um, he is nevertheless running probably the kind of campaign that might be effective. Yeah. It's funny because I I personally know, like I've sat in a room like this with Pete Buttigieg yeah. um, years ago, way before he was running for president. And I like him. I think he's yeah, a nice guy. I do too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I've never sat in a room with Mike Bloomberg, but I've sat in a room with his close advi- his close advisors at the sea level because this yeah. guy's a mayor and I yeah. work with cities and I've I've met a bunch of those people and they're very smart people too. Um, it, it's interesting to watch because I do think that those two and and, and I'm, I I said that I know them first because I think it's my bias. I feel like those two to me seem like they have the best chance of keeping that coalition mm-hmm. together and also not kind of falling into the the trap. Right. Um, Here's my question for for both of you. Um, we saw what happened with Tom Bach, yeah. uh, you know, the longtime uh, senator from uh, the Iron Range, who kind of was. Uh, I feel like the before Tim Walls, the bone that was being thrown to rural Amer- rural Minnesota. You know, like, hey, we're the Democrats. We're not just urbanists. You know, urban people. We do have rural people too. And look, here's our. You know, where we have a center of power, here's a, a guy mm-hmm. who um, appeals to you. Um, that facade's gone now. Um, he's, you know, no longer yeah. the speaker. Uh, that was kind of unceremonious. Mm-hmm. And uh, it feels a lot like our, you know, blue, now purple district will be will be solidly, solidly red indefinitely into the future. Is that how you two are reading this? Um. Well, the 8th District, I think, will be fairly safe for Pete Stauber. I'm not just saying that. I, I feel like that's the way it's going. The Democrats haven't put up a, a big backing behind any of the relatively unknown candidates running. I won't get into Maybe they'll become known. Maybe there'll be a big wave or something that happens. But Because fundamentally, the district is not that far gone. But I think there's just a level of safety to Stauber because, especially in the southern part of the district, which is solid Trump country, turned very red, um, nothing of that's changed. That hasn't changed at all. Um, Duluth is still solidly Democratic. Maybe increased turnout helps the Democrats, but on the same side, 
Stauber's done quite well on the range, and I just think a lot of people are are because the Democrat's not going to be from here up north. It'll be someone from central Minnesota, uh, in all likelihood, who who um, is the Democratic nominee, and so a lot of rangers have become comfortable with Pete Stauber because of the mining issue. I don't know that that's the only issue that matters, but he's done nothing to offend anybody, and he's the incumbent, and he has so much more money than the other side, and the other side isn't trying that hard yet. So for all those reasons, I think there's a certain safety with, with Pete Stauber right now. As far as the legislative races go, and I wrote a, a rather extensive piece about Bach that um, got some attention, I guess you'd say, uh, around the state, and, and I point out that it feels to some people want to paint this and certainly uh, Paul Gazelka specific Senator Paul Gazelka the majority leader in the Senate specifically tried to make some political hay off of that for that reason it looks like the DFL is taking a rural voice and silencing it and and it that you can make that interpretation if you want the reality is um, Senator Bach uh, was leading a caucus that was changing and that he was out of step with that caucus on a few issues, but more than that, was of an Iron Range labor political tradition that made him uniquely, it was uniquely difficult for him to lead in the style, the modern political style that is coming out of these suburban and urban seats where more DFLers are winning. It's not that the urban and suburban uh, districts are looking to punish the ranger. So, I mean, some people interpret that with the mining policies and things, but it's more that um, Tom Bach comes from a certain style of politics, and that style just is losing. And because uh, the kind of voters who still respond to that kind of tough, you know, jobs, 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 kind of, um, you know, you know, that kind of old-fashioned politicking, um, they're on the range and elsewhere, becoming more conservative, at least in how they vote, um, because they don't want to hear about environmental regulations. They don't want to hear about, you know, cultural issues where liberals have made advances in recent years. They don't want to hear about that. And so Tom Bach was playing this, um, you know, balancing act. He's trying to balance uh, his, um, you know, his roots, his his pro-mining policies and and and. and for his pro-mining friends and communities back home uh, with this, you know, environment that was changing where, you know, the urban areas are growing so fast and they have so many specific needs that are so very different from those of small communities on, on the range that, uh, you know, Bach was always, as I point out, Bach was always going to lose this at some point. And the fact that it happened mid-term or mid-two-year cycle right before a session was, as you point out, unceremonious. But um, on the other hand, I think that that caucus, and and I honestly thought Bach was going to survive the challenge. I don't know what the vote totals were in the caucus. It was obviously a private a thing. I, I've heard rumors and you know people speculating or who know one of the senators. I guess it was very contentious, but ultimately Bach thought he had more votes than he actually had. And that's just a sign of somebody who's just losing his caucus for various reasons. Some of them temperamental. He's you know, he he's he's an imposing figure, both physically and um politically. He's never been afraid to use his leverage uh, on particularly Governor Dayton, who famously broke with Tom Bach over 
he didn't trust Tom Bach by the end of his governorship. Tim Walls comes in, tries to do a few things differently, finds himself twisted on the IRRB commissioner issue in, in, in particular, because Mark Phillips almost got fired right. at one point. Tom Bach is the reason he didn't get fired. And I think that kind of attitude, like, you know, hey, what if we wanted to reform things, change things on the range, try to do something different? Tom Bach wasn't open to that because he viewed it as his domain. And and um, I, I realize that's not going to... Uh, those who are upset, I understand why you would be upset that Tom Bach lost this if you're a rural Democrat. We've lost, uh, other than Governor Walls, who's from southern Minnesota, there are no rural voices in the upper echelons of the DFL side of the leadership picture. Obviously, on the Republican side, you have Senator Gazelka. Um, and who's their ranking House member now? Um, I don't know. But anyway... Let me... Can I ask a meta question? Go ahead. I'm yeah. sorry. I didn't. No, no, that's okay. I was. I didn't hear your question. Who's on the? Who's Senate? the ranking? Who's the Senate uh, minority leader for the Republicans or the House uh, minority leader for the Republicans? Oh, who is? The... Maybe I, I should know this. I don't. Doubt. But is it Kurt Doubt still? Yeah. yeah okay. Kurt so Kurt Doubt's another rural. So you got Kurt Doubt right. and Paul Gazelka. So they can plausibly say, "Look at us. We're rural." Um, that's nice and all, but the the reality is the state is not. The population is so tilted towards the metro and suburban areas that the reality is there's more votes in those areas, and that's that's what's happening. And if you want to say, like, well, what about us in rural Minnesota? I shouldn't make fun of it because I live in rural Minnesota, and I know what they mean when you say that. But, um, but you know, when a third of the votes are in the rural area and you try to make it this big cultural, it's just cultural. It's not about policy. Right. It's cultural. Like, I don't... You know, people who are upset about this in the rural Minnesota probably were already going to vote Republican, most of them. And the reason is because it's cultural. It's like, I don't trust those metro people. I don't trust the Twin Cities. I don't like it. I don't feel comfortable there. I don't like driving there. What's with the three lanes? You drive in the middle lane? What do you do? <laughs> it's all part of that same feeling of, of being alienated from this power structure. And... You're not going to fix it just by putting a Tom Bach, as we've learned, because the Democrat. This has been happening even with Tom Bach as the right. uh, both the minority and majority leader at different times. Let Will me, he run for re-election? That's a quite open question. I wonder. Um, he may. He if it were me, I wouldn't want to. Right. Um, and I say that with all due respect. I mean, I, I, he may find that it's. Um, Maybe after the feelings pass and he feels sure. like he's back in the swing of things, maybe he wants to stay. It's a weird, uh, in the Senate, it's the weird two-year term for the Senate because yeah. of the redistricting that's going to happen two years later in 22. So maybe, but um, if he didn't, I wouldn't be shocked, yeah. but I don't know. Let me, can I close this yeah. Out yeah. with a, a meta question? Yeah. I, and meta, I mean, I don't think it's answerable particularly not in the time we have left. Yeah. But I think it's one that we can ponder and maybe come back to. Uh, I, I think when we look at the Twin Cities metro area and the DFL dominance of that, my critique of, of that area would be because you can win every election 60-40 DFL, mm -hmm. uh, the, the moderating part of the 40 um, that would keep you from doing things that are crazy let me just use my words that that would be a little bit like out there. The moderating part shifts way to the left mm -hmm. and you wind up with this kind of intellectual uh, bubble mm -hmm. where it kind of self reinforces itself 
in a way that I think from a governing standpoint is yeah. destructive. I, I think that good governance includes people who are on the left of the spectrum and who bring to the debate the values of the left and also from the right of the spectrum who bring to the value the debate the values of the right and i i feel like the best governing coalitions are ones that are 5248 yeah. you know well, those often produce the best legislators they do because those legislators have been tested their ideals their their um you know their efforts, and it doesn't mean they're they're exclusively moderate. It just means that they're better. Not at moderate. Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Just just more. So so you look and like I th the conservative critique of the Twin Cities is it's just a DFL bubble, mm -hmm. and like things have actually kind of gone off the rails in some ways because of that. Mm -hmm. I think you can make the same critique, and I started with the Twin Cities because it's further from us. I think you can make the same critique with the. 70s 80s 90s iron range where it was one party yeah. dominant i think we can see some of the bad effects that that had and, and I, as having grown up in that environment yep. exactly that um i i've been going through just the feelings about this because i was raised in that environment and everybody you know who's anybody was a democrat for the most part a lot of the some of the business people and mining executives were the, the republicans and, and they were easy to identify because they had the money and you could point at them and say that's right. that's what a republican is um but uh, or or they were extremely religious and religious con you know social uh, social conservatives those are the two groups that were republican everybody else was a democrat and i'll say that i kind of grew up in that environment thinking that the reason Every, you know, 80% of the people voted for Tom Rukavina or 70% voted for any of the other Democrats uh, w was um, because the reasons why I liked Tom Rukavina or the reasons why I was a Democrat was what everybody believed. Right. It was this feeling of invincibility that no matter why you were a Democrat. Now, for a lot of Democrats, that was because the Democrats were uh, the Labor Party and that meant st stomping on them environmentalists because there was a belief that, um, you know, that our guys, are, and they were all guys, uh, were the ones who were going to do this. And, and they thought the same thing. Now, as reality plays out and as reality changes, I have come to believe and I realize, and so have a lot of people on the Iron Range who are not nothing like me politically, have come to realize that, wait a minute, that coalition that elected people with 80% um, never did agree about all that much, really. It was the sense that we were all together. It was the sense of belonging. And it, and you point out, it, it led to you know a uniform voting for Democrats, no matter what their, how far left or, or moderate they were. Um, and we never really stopped to consider what we were really supporting. It was part of the team. Well, here, here's, my, here's my point on yeah, that. Yeah. Is, you know, as someone who is interested in reform mm -hmm. and in reform, particularly at the local level, I, I, one of the things that I see with organizations like the IRRP and, mm -hmm. and and other institutions is that when they become one part monolithic in yeah. their party, uh, the personal bonds tend to override yep. the uh, the uh, you know the other bonds. The the the, the classic uh, as I and again it's it's sexist I suppose, but he's a good guy is the term used whenever you encounter somebody who probably shouldn't be in their job, right? but uh, no one has the heart to, to primary them, challenge them, or to replace them in a government job or anything like that. Well, he's a good guy. So here's my meta so, question. Okay. As we shift into what seems to me to be a, a much deeper red situation, mm -hmm. uh, in, in rural America in general, in our area in specific, um, 
And that red has become more associated less with the, uh, the, the Newt Gingrich, you know, kind of radical reform. Let's shake up the system, mm-hmm. you know, contract with America. Here's all the things we're going to change and more of a personality driven, mm-hmm. you know, uh, approach. Are we locking ourselves into something that is going to be hard to culturally get out of? And and that's I I don't like yeah. let's not discuss it now but okay. that's my that's my question yeah. for us to ponder is that you know I, I I've enjoyed the last decade or more of this district because it seems like as Oberstar lost as other voices have come in we've at least had some debate over yeah. issues it's mm-hmm. at least been like a loosening of the conversation yeah. are we shifting to uh, where the conversation is going to solidify again and in a way that. Uh, you know, I don't think will be healthy for us long term. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd agree that that's a big issue, a, a, a potential danger. And um, I've learned from being in a one-party system that there are disadvantages to that, that that often create destruction down the line. All right, maybe next time, huh? Next time, I got to go pick There'll up. There'll be more uh, politics next time. Well, oh no! No, Still. no nothing no more to politics. talk about. Yeah. No, we'll, we'll have to think of something. We'll have to do a, con- a concept <laughs> there, episode on something else entirely. There won't be yeah. any politics news. Maybe we should do like music or art or something yeah. like that, yeah. or you know, just something <laughs> the good. We can debate classicism versus modernism architecture. Oh gosh, that's politics too. Yeah, it is because yeah. architecture just got politicized. I know. I, I wrote a piece post, of. <laughs> I saw your post. So yeah. <laughs>